right, well, we are really, as I said earlier, glad that you're here. And um, I do love this this time of year. And I want to especially thank Zach and Fuller for reading Scripture. And um, I don't know, maybe it's the immaturity in me, but sometimes you pick people to read passages and it's a little humorous that junior high guys are talking about babies being conceived and stuff. So it was hard for me not to laugh in the back, and I had to make sure when I did, my mic was muted. So thank you guys. Thank you for reading a somewhat awkward passage. I couldn't have picked two finer gentlemen to read that, especially the two that we have. We are very blessed. Um, guys, I, you know, I, before we get into the message, I, I do want to um, tell you that you know, Pastor Ryan and I really are so thankful for the, the commitment that you guys have made here. And and we realize that it that, that you know being part of a church plan is it it requires sacrifice from everybody involved, not just leadership, Pastor Ryan and myself. But I mean, it, it requires sacrifice from everybody. Um, there are churches in all, throughout Tallahassee that have the established building, that have the established programs, and all those things that that you can walk into and have all your needs, quote unquote, met. Um, and, and, and so for you to, to be willing to come along this, this journey with us, I want you to understand, and hopefully you, you, you hear my heart when I say thank you, because it, 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 we understand it's a sacrifice. Uh, we have hopes, we have dreams, we have, we have plans of things that we want to accomplish. Um, but I have to continue, and Courtney has to continue to remind me that it requires patience. And all those things that, that we want to accomplish and do, it just takes time. Um, you know, it requires financial resources, it, it requires people resources, it requires facility. There's a lot of things. But one thing that, that we can continue to do is what we are doing this morning, and that's worshiping. Um, worshiping together as a faith family. Uh, you know, in the beginning of next year, when we begin to have some of these small group Bible studies, those are things that we can do and we will do. And, and, and I promise you, it is our goal, it is Pastor Ryan and Miles' goal that, that when we do a service, when we do Bible studies, that we do them well. And that Jesus always takes center stage. Okay, not definitely not my abilities, because we all realize that it ain't my abilities, right? But and, and Pastor Ryan's got a lot of ability, but but despite those abilities that we have, they're gifts that God gave us. And and, and so I want you guys just to know what we're thankful. We're thankful for you guys being a part of this. And and, and the follow-up to that is I, what I would encourage you to do is that over the last few weeks, this is our I believe our tenth Sunday, right? So Many of you have been here the entire journey, so maybe have, are fairly new, but, but we've all seen some faces that have kind of trickled in and trickled out and all that kind of stuff. And so I'd encourage you this morning, um, in the service, take a, a, a mental note of those who are around. Maybe there's some faces that you've not seen in the last few weeks. And I would ask for you to reach out to those people. One of the things that we don't, I was talking with Andrew Kay about this earlier, one of the things that we don't want to happen is, is for somebody to kind of come and visit and check it out a little bit and then get lost in the cracks. And, and we're too small to get for anybody to feel lost. Um, and so, so if there's somebody that you, you think of that you haven't seen in a week or two or three, maybe send them an email, maybe a text message, a phone call, just something where you're checking in to make sure that they're okay. All right? Um, I, I think and I hope and pray that will go a long ways. But, but we, we, um, we realize, though, that because we are the state that we're at, everybody is important. Hopefully we'll always have that mentality, no matter how large Redemption Hill Church gets, but everyone is important to us. And we just want to make sure that those who aren't coming, that they're still okay, all right? So, so if you could help...
Pastor Ryan and I out, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. So this morning, we're going to look um, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to kind of go through verses 18 through 24. Last week, we, we studied Mary, and, uh, Mary of Nazareth. And, and last week's study, we kind of looked at Nazareth and then Mary. And what we, I had hoped to accomplish in that study last week is that we saw that God took things that we would consider insignificant. Okay, Nazareth, a small town population, somewhere between 100 and 400 people. Okay, it, it was a town on the other side of the tracks. It was, it was nothing but laborers. It was a very poor town. And then you have Mary, who was a peasant girl. We said she was probably 13 years old when she has this visit from Gabriel. And, and, and it's some, sometimes we, our traditions, and, and we see these nice little um, nativity scenes. We see this Mary with this nice little blue and white dress, right? And everything, although they're in a little stable, everything seems perfect. But, but the reality is Mary was a peasant girl. And so she probably didn't have these nice, pretty little clothes. I mean, she was a peasant. And, 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 and so we realized that, that God took insignificant things by our standards and he made great significance out of them to me that's encouraging because it shows me that that even in my insignificance if i'm trusting in god if i'm relying on god that he can take my insignificance and make it significant not for chad's purpose but for his glory and his honor and so this morning we're gonna we're gonna kind of try on a somewhat similar path look at bethlehem and joseph and, um, and, and see what we can learn in this situation. It's interesting because when we look at the two main um, books, um, main gospels that we would read the, the Christmas story, um, Luke, which we looked at last week, Luke, we see the, um, the, the nativity, the birth of Jesus through Mary's eyes. We go over to Matthew, and it's the nativity, it's the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Joseph. Um, what I find so fascinating about Joseph is this. There is not one single recorded word of Joseph in Scripture. Joseph's only mentioned a small handful of times. It makes it a little challenging for us to preach about. <laughs> but we're going to try and get through this, all right? So we look at this, all right? Now, um, I find this interesting. Now, what ends up happening, I think, at least from Chad, is we kind of take both the accounts of, of Matthew and, and Luke and we kind of merge them together. And unfortunately, when we, I think when we merge some of this stuff together, it gives us um, a, a, a um, maybe a not completely historical, accurate account of nativity. So when we talked about last week, last week Gabriel comes to, to Mary and tells Mary, you, you're going to be with a child. We, if you're like me, we kind of assume that Joseph must have been in Nazareth with her. We, we assume that there was a, a closeness there, that, that she finds out and she runs over to Joseph and boom. That, 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 that Joseph must have been living in Nazareth. The, the reality is if, if, we, if we look at Matthew alone, if we read Matthew alone, Nazareth is not mentioned until chapter 2, verse 23. And at that time, Jesus is probably about two years old. Okay, so really, in, it, really what probably happened was, was Mary was in, Be- was in Nazareth. Joseph's in Bethlehem, his hometown. It was not uncommon during those days. The reality is that what happened was most of those marriages were arranged by their parents. Okay, so we had this long distance thing kind of going on, and so Mary has this has this visit from Gabriel, and almost immediately after it takes place, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Okay, now historically we're told that that Elizabeth 
lived in a, a city named Ian Karam, okay, which is about four miles from Jerusalem. Four miles from Bethlehem, I'm sorry. And so she ends up taking this nine-day journey south to this little town where Elizabeth was, which happened to be four miles from where Joseph more than likely was. More than likely, it's during that time, she spends three months there, it's during that time that she has this conversation with Joseph. And we'll see this morning of how Joseph responds to her claims. So when we look at this in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says here that, um, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when the mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolves to divorce her quietly. See, I, I think although this, this passage, that those, those verse... Um, seems to me there's a lot not said. Um, because there is little about Joseph, we have to somewhat speculate. And I'm not, by, by no stretch am I trying to add to Scripture, but I'm going to tell you from a man. Last week was a little bit challenging. We talked about Mary. I, I am obviously not a female. Never given birth to a baby. Okay? So, so sometimes there's characters that we can relate to a little bit closer than others. You moms last week could probably relate to Mary somewhat. Um, I couldn't, but to Joseph, I think there's a way that some of us guys can relate to. Joseph, um, his hopes and dreams have been destroyed. This woman that that he has um, given his life to, in this betrothal period, this one-year span where they are engaged and he's back home preparing for their wedding ceremony. There's this distance you know, a nine-day distance of travel between where Mary and Joseph lived. Right? Some of us who are married can think back to those days of when we were dating and the phone calls, the long phone calls, right? Which, after you're married for a little bit of time, it goes from a long phone call to a quick text message, right? Come on, let's be honest. Right? It kind of changes a little bit, doesn't it? But, but when you think back in that, that engagement time, like you can't get enough of that person, right? right? And so there's a separation and, um, and, and, and no doubt that um, there was this yearning to be near each other. And so, so, so Mary makes this journey over to Ian Carm, and, and, and certainly Joseph finds out about it, so he goes to visit her, his bride-to-be. And she says to him, hey, Joseph, we need to talk. I'm with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, I think we're safe in speculating that Joseph probably got a little upset because that's not a, that's not a normal thing, right? That's not, that's, that for those of us who are old enough to understand, we realize where babies come from and how it happens. And typically the Holy Spirit's not involved. Right? And, 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 and so we have this, this deal where, where Joseph, his, his hopes, his dreams, everything, this life he was planning for, and, and, and Mary shows up and says, listen, um, I'm going to have a baby. But it's coming from the Holy Spirit. Last week I told you that, 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 that in, 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 in such an amazing way, when Gabriel 
has this conversation with Mary that she says yes. Despite knowing that, that, that she could be stoned, she could be killed for that choice. According to the law in Deuteronomy, we, we read that if, if she had been found guilty of this, of, of having a relationship with somebody outside of her betrothed, outside of her engaged, the punishment was death. Joseph knows the same thing. Joseph, I mean, Joseph knows the law. And, and, and no doubt, we don't know what conversation takes place, but I'm sure that there's this, this great enjoy, this great excitement that, that, that Joseph makes this 90-minute walk, journey, probably run over to see Mary, and they have this conversation. And it probably, he probably goes from being stunned, confused, and then certainly anger begins to set in. We know that he probably we know that he didn't believe what she said, because the scripture tells us that he begins to come up with a plan to quietly divorce her. So we realize that he did not understand it. But in my mind, as I as I as I picture this 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 setting of of Mary and Joseph talking, it starts quietly but probably ends quite loud, with people being upset and mad. And Joseph probably reaching a point where he can no longer talk and he walks and storms out the house. And I can picture Mary crying on the porch while he's walking away, thinking it's over, it's done. Exactly what I thought would happen. I'm going to have this baby. I'm going to have to raise it by myself. He doesn't believe me. My family will not believe me. And Joseph, no doubt, over the next 90 minutes is storming home, mad and upset. But somehow, in the midst of that journey home, that anger and that wrath begins to change. Because as mad as he was at Mary, as upset as he was, he didn't want anything bad to happen to her. And so he begins to come up with this plan, this idea of quietly divorcing her. To me, that's already a symbol, this idea of, of this grace, of this humility of Joseph. He realized, he, in his mind, he does not believe her story. Yet he does not want her to die. And, and, and as he begins to craft this plan, he realizes that, that if he does quietly divorce her, that her family gets to keep the dowry, he will still be committed to giving the rest of the remainder of the, the dowry that would be due at the day of the wedding. He, he would be obligated to take care financially in supporting that, that child. He, he also realizes that, that Mary will go home and it will become very evident that she's pregnant. And he now becomes the bad guy. He's the one that would carry the shame. Not Mary. Because people would assume that this thing that happened with Mary must have happened in Ian Carr when she went to go visit Elizabeth and Joseph just happened to be 90 minutes away. So, she, so Joseph would carry the shame. She would have the pity of her family. The dowry would remain. And so we see this, this sense of, of, of grace 
in Joseph. I love that picture. If you look in your bulletin, the message this morning is titled, when we go through those dark moments, I don't remember exactly what the title is, but but going through the darkest moments in our lives. In in my opinion, as as I read this passage in those two verses and we look at that no doubt that must have felt like one of the darkest moments in joseph's life that journey as he's walking home the the how he'll has to face the humiliation most of us if not all of us in our lives have had those moments where you feel this is the worst day of your life Something out of the blue occurs. Something you're not prepared to handle. Something that does that makes absolutely no sense at all. You've done everything right. You've tried your best, but yet something happens. And you think to yourself, this is the worst day of my life. How do we weather those days? How do we weather those journeys? We would do well to remember Joseph. Because when we look at this particular story, when we, when we think of Joseph as he's being faced with this, he does not understand it. He does not believe it. In the midst of his um, rejection, in the midst of his anger, God is preparing something miraculous. God's hand is at work. He is orchestrating the birth of the Savior. He has requested Joseph to play a huge part, a critical role. And so while Joseph thinks it's the end of the world, while Joseph thinks it's the worst day ever, God is crafting something beautiful, precious, life-changing. Suppose Joseph would have kept walking home and never returned to Mary. That account we read would look much different, wouldn't it? Think of the blessing that Joseph would have missed out on. I'd caution myself like I'd caution you that in the midst of those tough moments, in the midst of what might feel like the absolute worst day of your life, do not give up. Do not change course. Do not feel like it's over. Because God could be orchestrating something beautiful in your life. God could be orchestrating something so amazing that we just don't understand it yet. He's not maybe revealed it to us yet. Don't give up. Weather that storm. Remember, Joseph, the next time you face what you think might be the absolute worst day of your life. Because Joseph faced something just like that. It's interesting because Joseph goes home fully prepared to divorce um, Mary. We read uh, in 19, it says, Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you, will call, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. That dream, that vision, that, that encounter that Joseph had, had a profound impact on him. An angel conversation. He wakes up, and as soon as he wakes up, he runs to Mary. Tells Mary what took place. They pack up, head back to Nazareth, and probably very hastily put a wedding together. It's amazing to me, that story. It's amazing to me, the, the faith. It's, the, it's amazing to me how, how, how Joseph is called a just man. It's amazing how we, we, when we look at how and the reason why he was considered a just man, his just, his righteousness was not found in following the law, was it? Because had he followed the law, he was well within his right. If he truly believed her story was a lie, he was well within, in order to find justice, righteousness through the law, it would have been to condemn Mary. So, so his righteousness was not found in the law. His, his righteousness was not found in his pursuit of, of, of justice. But Joseph's righteousness, justness, was found in compassion and grace and love. It's fascinating to me when, when we look at this, this interaction and this, uh, that Joseph has with this angel. They reference a, a passage here um, verse 23 is from the Old Testament, Isaiah 7, 14. And again, sometimes we, um, we merge things together and we begin to pull things out of context. That one of the reasons why I choose to preach um, in an expositional manner, meaning we, we start um, in a book and we'll go verse by verse, chapter through chapter, um, is because it, 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 helps, it helps us not pull things out of context. It helps us to hopefully look at things in the right manner. Um, and I don't believe this is written out of context, but, but sometimes we assume things. Tradition assumes things. And so we look at this verse in verse 23 um, from Isaiah 7, 14, and we think that this, this was a passage written some 735 years before the birth of Jesus by the prophet Isaiah. And we assume Isaiah wrote that passage 735 years ago referencing Jesus. But that's not the case. If you were to go back in your Bibles and you were to read the first 16 verses in Isaiah chapter 7, you realize that, that um, Isaiah is trapped in Jerusalem, in the city. And, and, and they are surrounded at this time by, by two, um, two armies. The army of Israel and the army of Aram, which would be modern day Syria. Okay, And in the midst of this, th there's great concern there's great fear in Jerusalem. The Bible in that passage talks about how King Ahaz, who was the king over there, was terribly concerned. And so Isaiah prophesies about this baby being conceived 
of a virgin. Some of your translations may say instead of virgin, young woman. That Hebrew word could be translated either way, young woman or virgin. That prophecy was about Isaiah's son, who we read about in the following chapter, verse chapter 8. And see, Emmanuel was who Isaiah named his son, or what he named his son. And he was to be a sign to King Ahaz that Jerusalem would not be conquered. That God would, would take care of the, the Israel armies and the Aram armies. And he would send a sign. And that sign was Emmanuel. So the question is, is Matthew just completely ignorant of that? Did Matthew just pull a verse out of context? Did he just grab something from the Hebrew Scriptures and, and apply it to make it sound like something? No, I don't believe it was at all. What, what Matthew is saying is, is, he's like, hey guys, just like the first Emmanuel, who was a sign of hope, a sign that God was with us, He would never leave us, He would never forsake us. He would protect us. Just like the first Emmanuel, we have another Emmanuel coming. But this Emmanuel is much more profound. This Emmanuel is not just for Jerusalem. This is an Emmanuel for the whole world. What a beautiful picture because I think when I, when I look at this Isaiah prophecy, to me it shows us something today. The first Emmanuel assigned to the people there in Israel that God would be faithful, God would be just, that God would protect them. He would be with them. The second Emmanuel, Jesus, much more profound. Uh, uh, an Emmanuel for the rest of eternity. One who came to save the whole entire world. A reminder, a visible reminder of us, of love, of hope. I look at it today when we look at this, when we read this, as followers of Jesus, we ought to be Emmanuels in our world today. That we ought to offer hope for those who are hopeless. We ought to offer love for those who lack love. That we should embody the same things that the original Emmanuel had. None of us will be like Jesus. But as Christians, we ought to follow Him and live like Him. This Christmas time, this, this season that we're in, we prayed this morning, many of you, before the service started. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of everything, isn't it? It's so easy for us to get consumed with buying Christmas presents. And there's nothing wrong with Christmas presents. But unfortunately, Christmas time has turned into a season of gift-giving. I believe when you read things, it can also become one of the most depressing holidays for those who are from families where mom and dad are no longer together. Those who, who enter those holiday seasons having lost a loved one. Those who, who, who are in bad relationships. Those who, who lack love and hope. Those who do not know Jesus as their Savior. 
And I think, man, what greater time is there than now that we act like Emmanuel, that we be the ones that provide hope for people, that we be the ones that provide love for people. It's my heart, it's my dream, it's what I believe God's called us to do at Redemption Hill. That everyone who walks through those doors, every single one, I don't care what's going on in their life, I don't care where they're at spiritually, but every time they walk through those doors, there's a people here that will love them that will encourage them, that will show Jesus Christ to them. Let us be Emmanuel today. Tuesday morning when we go in and make breakfast for teachers, there'll be nothing holy about the bagels except for maybe the hole in the middle. right? There'll be nothing righteous about the biscuits and gravy or whatever it is that we make. But I hope that as we just show up there for those teachers, that they just get a glimpse, maybe a small dose of Emmanuel. May we be Emmanuel today. It's also, I think, fairly fascinating when we look at this passage during this time period. that Joseph more than likely was a young man. Now, it's hard for us to emphatically say that. If you look at some tradition, uh, Joseph, the, the Catholics, a lot of the Catholics tend to place Joseph as an elderly man when he and Mary were married. Mary were married, right? Yeah. So, so one source has Joseph as 93 years old. It's an old dude. By Bible terms, it's still probably pretty old. Okay, and, and, and so their, their belief was Joseph was 93, married Mary, and lived to be 111. This began to start, occur in the second century. Part of this was the, the Catholics had this belief, and they needed to, to enforce this belief. They had to, to cast things around it to establish the belief. And, and they held Mary at such a high level. And those of you who, who may come from the Catholic faith, um, there's this, this belief that, um, of perpetual virginity of Mary. She was never with a man. It was, in their mind, if she had been with a man, it would have broken the holiness of Mary. So in order to create this, they would say that, that Joseph was 93, and he was really more of a grandfatherly-like figure. Um, I personally don't believe that's the case. I call it a gut feeling. The Bible can't tell us. There's no emphatic knowledge of how old he was. We can't find it. But, but more than likely, Joseph was a younger man. And, and probably throughout most of his life, there was one king over that area. Herod. Herod the Great. It's interesting because if we compare Joseph and Herod the Great, very little um, crossover. They are not alike at all. Herod um, had this, um, by all accounts, had this unquenchable desire to be affirmed by people. Uh, he, he wanted everyone to praise him, to worship him. He wanted to be the messianic king, deliverer, that all the prophets had prophesied. Even though he did not meet any of the criteria, he wanted to do that. 
And so we would see that in these massive building projects. Um, Herod rebuilds the temple in a grander fashion than even Solomon did. Uh, Herod would build cities, would build seaports. Uh, you could visit um, Israel and Palestine today and still see ruins from Herod's reign. One of the most impressive things that Herod built was what was called the Herodium. He named it after himself, just to kind of put Herod in perspective. Okay? And, and what it was outside in, or in Jerusalem, on the edge of town, he built this man-made mountain. And on top of it, he built this palace. It stood 400 feet in the air. It was their version of a pyramid. The Egyptian pyramids that we see, read about, the only difference was that the pyramids built in Egypt were burial sites. This Herodium for Herod was his winter palace, a fortress. At the bottom, at the base, there were all these villas for his, his family and friends. Uh, he built these, he constructed these pools and ponds there. Mind you, we're in the middle of a desert, so that would have been quite the sight. You go about halfway up, and there was this, this amphitheater, like, like cinema type area that would seat 900 people. And on top of it would be this palace with the Roman baths, this, this great hall, and these bedrooms. The only relation of Herod and Joseph would have been the close proximity of Bethlehem to the Herodian. See, Bethlehem laid in the shadows of the Herodian. Herod would be able to sit at the top of his palace and look down and see a small little part of a kingdom that he ruled. See, Bethlehem, similar to Nazareth, was made up of laborers and workers. Bethlehem itself means the house of bread. So, so beyond just laborers, there were farmers and, and millers and people who would obviously make bread and probably carried it to Jerusalem, which is about a four-mile distance. More than likely, as this Herodium is being built, the people in Bethlehem would gaze upon it and were, were probably fascinated by it. And because so much of Bethlehem were laborers, many of them were probably called into the job to help build it and construct it. Joseph was a simple carpenter. In fact, in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, we read that he was a carpenter. The term they use there, the Greek word is tectin. Similar to what the, we see that the word that we use today, architect. And during that time, architect would be a master builder. Joseph wasn't even an accomplished master builder. Joseph was just a simple builder, a simple craftsman, woodworker. To the point that most of the homes built in Bethlehem would have been built out of stone. A guy like Joseph worked on roofs, on doors, and probably repaired and built farming tools. That was Joseph. So you have this, this man, Herod, this, this massive builder of projects. And Joseph, who was just a simple carpenter. This man, Herod, who, who, who would spend his whole life wanting to be immortal, leave this immortal mark 
who would want people to worship him and praise him. He wanted to restore the Jewish kingdom. And you have Joseph who had no aspirations of such things. Yet God chose Joseph to help change the world. I, as a father, um, will always remember the birth of each of my children. I will remember um, eternally, hopefully, holding each of my children for the first time. Um, Mackenzie is our oldest. Uh, I remember as we had Mackenzie, um, it was kind of funny. I can laugh about it now, but we had, there were a lot of um, FSU student nurses up there. And um, it was humorous because, not humorous, because they were trying to learn stuff and um, it was, you know, your first child and you don't know what's going on. And, and Courtney ended up, um, they had to put her asleep for the C-section. And so it almost felt like the old days where like the dad couldn't, had to wait in the waiting room, right? And then they brought the baby out to you. So I remember um, my best trying to be like John Wayne and not be fearful. Um, and um, it didn't really work. You guys know me too well. <laughs> um, that's where I think the emotions began to, the breakdown happened, okay, for me. And so I remember... I remember pacing in this little room, small room, waiting, and, and all of the family is out in the waiting room. Courtney is in surgery, and you know, even as 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 often as they do those things, it, you you just get scared because you've never done that. Your Courtney and I haven't been married that long yet, and so I'm I'm all nervous about this stuff. And and then these nurses come through, FSU nurses, and um, a doctor, I guess, and they're holding this baby. I mean, I had never held a baby before. I mean, I, I, and, and they just like, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm bawling. I mean, literally, like, I can't even see. I'm bawling. Thankfully, Courtney wasn't in the room because, I mean, I was a mess. Like, I, one of the girls, I think, finally grabbed me and said, get a hold of yourself, right? I mean, I just, I mean, I was just crying because I was like, wow. It, it's, 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 and all of us who have had children, you look at that, and everything is perfect. And you hold that, and and it's it's so small and it's so tender, and and I don't know what women think about, but but in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking I'm holding this baby, and I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> now I have to teach this child. I, I'm responsible for this child. I can't do it. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. And I, I and. and as emotional and, and, and as amazing as that, appearance, as that period was, I cannot for the life of me comprehend when Mary gave Jesus to Joseph for the first time and he held that baby, that beautiful, innocent baby, and in his arms he realized he was holding the Son of God. And think about the weight on the shoulders of Joseph to be the father, the earthly father of the Son of God. It would be Joseph's job to raise that child. It would be Joseph's job to teach Jesus what it was like to be a man. It's an amazing story. When we look at Joseph... I think one of the most impressive things, and, and maybe there's a reason why in Scripture we don't read about any written words of him. 
Maybe there's a reason why there's only a handful of occurrences where Joseph's mentioned. See, God's not impressed with our pursuit of riches. God's not impressed with our great desire to be affirmed by people. Joseph was a simple man, a humble man. And his goal in life, as best we can tell, was to please God. While Herod screamed for attention, Joseph humbly worked. I think when we read that scripture, when we read about Joseph, the lesson that we can learn is to be humble just like he was. That, that when those tough days come, when, when you think it's over, when you think the storm is too big, too bad for you to handle, that you trust God and you take Him for His word and you realize that you may not know what's going on. You do not know the end of the story, but He does. And if there's a reason why He's putting us through that storm, then let's praise Him for the storm. That in our lives, if you're like me, I so greatly desire to be like Joseph, but I battle the inner Herod. You begin to do things and you wonder, and you, you, you get upset saying, why is nobody noticing what I'm doing? How, how, how come nobody thanks me for all these things I'm doing? Let's try and be a little bit more like Joseph and a lot less of Herod. Let's embrace the humility. It's such an amazing story. I love this time of year. I love these Christmas passages. And I love the ability that we have to, to dissect them a little bit over time and not merge it all together, not spend one Sunday putting everything together, but breaking them apart and looking at some of these characters. And we can talk about how great Mary was and what a step of faith she took in, in telling Gabriel, yes, 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 no matter what, yes, I'll carry Jesus. I will be the earthly mother of Jesus. And we can talk about Joseph and in his humility and how he weathered those things. I love how we see the human side of Joseph, how he was mad and he was upset and ready to get rid of her, but, but the angel came and, 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 and he understood it. He realized that God had bigger plans in place. And he said yes. And he embraced it. But as great as Mary was and as great as Joseph was, neither one compared to that baby that Mary carried to that Son of God who left heaven to come to earth, who the Emmanuel came to give us hope, who came and would ultimately die for our sins. So let's not worship Mary. Let's not worship Joseph. Let's always worship Jesus. He's always the centerpiece. He's always the main attraction. He's always the main character. Let's pray.